How does an Idaho medical student choose to come to the University of Utah School of Medicine? What is Teach for America? What kind of program is this? How to prepare someone for medical school? Today on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life, I interview Matt from Idaho, who also did Teach for America. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. We've got a great guest today, Matt, who comes from northern Idaho, Coeur d'Alene. Right, northern Idaho, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Coeur d'Alene, Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. i got to stop putting the French pronunciation. All right. <laughs> well, Matt, thanks for joining uh, me today. Yeah, um, and let's get it kicked off. Let's talk about something that's very unique about yourself. Um, Teach for America. What is Teach mm-hmm. for America? Tell me about that. Oh, where should I start? So Teach for America is this two-year program that recent college graduates can apply to essentially and they spend two years serving in an underserved public school somewhere across the country they have so many sites when i applied it was somewhere in the low 40s i believe it's probably higher than that now um, having kept up with the program but anyway so these these college graduates they 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 spend the summer training sort of like an accelerated teacher program, and then they are placed in one of these regions, and they become fully certified teachers under the state laws and the state credentials in which they'll be teaching. And essentially, the the idea of Teach for America is that we serve these communities and we serve these public schools in the sense that we're trying to achieve this common goal of the program, and that's educational equity across the United States. And so that that is uh, sort of the the big goal of Teach for America, I would say, and those that are invested in the program and choose to participate in the program. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, do you come from a family of educators? I mean, where did this dream of doing Teach for America come from? Sure, I, I don't come from a family of educators. Actually, what sort of got me interested in teaching and Teach for America itself was just the idea of being able to serve others in that capacity, really to be able to teach a student. I taught high school, so to be able to teach somebody of that age some sort of knowledge and help them develop those critical thinking skills was was really important to me. And that just sort of developed, I guess, as I progressed through my own education. I had lots of mentors in high school that I really looked up to and then going through college. I had experiences tutoring and teaching and such, but nothing that... I guess nothing that really left me fulfilled in the sense that I thought Teach for America would be able to in terms of the work that I would be doing in the communities that I would be doing it in. Mm. So you mentioned high school. Did you choose mm-hmm. the age group you would teach? Is that, is that a choice you got? Okay. I did, yeah. So during the application process, the uh, depending on how far through the process that the applicant goes, it's kind of like medical school, applying mm-hmm. to medical school where there are certain – uh, checkpoints. You know, you, you fulfill the primary, then you fill out the secondary, then you receive an interview. Well, similar process with Teach for America. And along that way, the applicant is able to select or make a preference, actually, of what regions they would like to teach in mm-hmm. and what age group they would like to teach in. And they can, the applicant can rank all of the regions that Teach for America places its core members or its teachers, and it can select or excuse me, the applicant can select between elementary students, middle school students, and high school students as well. And then if the program is interested in the applicant based on application and 
interview and they're able to sort of make a matching a, a match based on preferences they do the best they can mm-hmm. with that and so where did you end up going so i was assigned to the region uh, of the Mississippi Delta, which was one of my top selections because I, I have this interest in in sort of the history of the civil rights movement mm-hmm. that took place in the United States um, about 50 years ago and such. And I knew that that was a really prominent area for that. And so I sort of spent some time living in the South, experiencing that um, for what it is today. And that is sort of why I chose that region, actually, was to sort of dive deep into that. Because knowing that probably the rest of my life, I wouldn't be able to live in a place like it. Mm-hmm. But during those two years that I served with the program, I, I could experience it. And I could help the communities down there in which I was placed. So you were in Mississippi or? Yeah, so it gets kind of tricky. So I, I trained in Mississippi. And okay. when, I, when I say trained, so that's where I spent my summer they call it institute and so i spent five weeks of intensive training essentially there getting up at four in the morning learning teaching uh skills um to the best that i could how to create lesson plans and so forth as well as doing my student teaching at at off-site school so we we prepped and i received actually some college graduate credit at delta state university in cleveland mississippi and then we student taught at off-site schools around there I taught at a school, Gentry High School, in Indianola, Mississippi, uh, which was quite the experience in and of itself. And then so that ended, and my placement actually being in Arkansas. Because I remember, I think you were in Arkansas. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. So after my, my, my training in Mississippi, I moved to a small town in southeastern Arkansas where I was placed and hired for two years. Mm-hmm. And that's where I ended up teaching mm-hmm. the, the high school biology. Wow. And so... Um, all of a sudden, you know, you're from Idaho, northern Idaho. Right. All of a sudden, you find yourself in, in rural Arkansas. I mean, what was your experience like? I mean, it must have been like, were you just a fish out of water or mm-hmm. because you had that training mm-hmm. back in Mississippi? Did you feel adequately prepared? Or I mean, mm-hmm. how did it go? Yeah. No, those are great questions. I, I would say that initially it was just this this massive culture shock. Mm-hmm. It was pretty amazing to me just how much diversity and culture we have in this one country, moving from North Idaho, moving to the Mississippi Delta and seeing these areas of Mississippi and even Arkansas. So I think that was the first thing, the first hurdle I I had to overcome was just being in a new place, being in a new culture that was completely different from where I grew up and as well as where I attended undergrad in, in Moscow, Idaho. Teaching from what I learned from the two years that I was in the classroom is that a lot of it really is trial and error Mm. and getting in the classroom, getting the experience and making those mistakes and learning from those mistakes and then making adjustments from those mistakes. Mm. The five-week intensive training program, I, I felt prepared in the sense that it boosted my confidence a little bit in terms of getting in front of a group of students, learning some of the ins and outs of teaching, the lesson planning, structuring a lesson plan, classroom management strategies, and so forth. But I wouldn't say I really felt prepared actually in, probably until my second year of teaching mm. um, in, in the high school classroom. And, and I think that's probably a common response among a lot of new teachers that go through the Teach for America program is that first year really was just 
a process of figuring out what works and what doesn't work while at the same time trying to enable students to achieve and critically think Mm -hmm. and then come back that second year. And now I had all of these resources I had used first year. So I wasn't really creating anything from scratch anymore. More so I was modifying and adjusting as I felt need be based on what I learned that first year. Did you feel accepted by the school, by like the other teachers? I, I did. I, okay. I felt very comfortable in my community. I was very grateful that the uh, community accepted myself as well as we had five other Teach for America Corps members okay. in, in our community. It was a very small town mm-hmm. um, area, population of about 5,000. So once, once you kind of got your foot in the water, once I got my foot in the water, I would say I was able to fully jump in in terms of the community being able to really accept me. Mm-hmm. What was a little bit difficult was earning the respect of the students, I would say. I really had to work hard at that, and the students really had to believe that I was there for them. And that was the only reason I was there. And, and once I could get a student to invest in that, I could get a student really to, to engage with me and achieve this common goal that we would both have in getting that student to learn science to the best of their ability. Wow. I mean, I mean, did you have some, you must've had some success stories. I mean, students Mm -hmm. that would, you know, get that fire, that love for uh, science or biology. Sure. Absolutely. And you know, those, those are the moments that every teacher would live for. I would say at least the, you know, those are the ones that I lived for, you know, the time when you could see the light bulb go off in a child's head or a student's head because they were able to grasp the different difficult concept of endocytosis, mm-hmm. you know, say at the high school level. Those, those were outstanding. Uh, we had good data produced. Um, so in Arkansas, they take a, uh, a, uh, a state test in biology. Biology is actually one of their state-tested subjects. And over my two years, we were, we were able to increase the number of students that achieved proficient or advanced on that exam than what had than what that school had seen previous. And so in terms of the data, that was a really good feeling as a teacher as well. Mm-hmm. And it increased my second year too, which which was great. Um, made me feel good as, as the teacher and also made me, you know, very prideful in my students. Mm-hmm. The moments I remember the, the most though, probably, um, that's not true. I, I remember the successes absolutely, but I also remember the times when I wasn't able to get through to a kid mm-hmm. and I could spend nine months trying to reach a child with some of these diverse backgrounds and that would prove to be very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. But the important part for me was that I never gave up until I guess time came around and I had to leave my placement school after the two years. So I remember those as well, but I also remember the successes. There are some students that I still keep in touch with today and I had them, you know, two years ago, even a year, a year ago. And, you know, they're getting ready to apply to schools like university of Arkansas, university of Mississippi. And, and so that's really neat to see. But at the same time, I guess, I don't want to say the good comes with the bad because it, it each each student is individual and as an experience as a whole there's always going to be some differences but it's it's a rewarding program in the sense that I really had the opportunity to make a difference in a student's life mm-hmm. whatever that life may have been at that point in time but it's also a very challenging program in the sense that it takes a lot of effort and a lot of tenacity to really get through to a student and invest them in in what it is that they really want to do with themselves. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, kind of segueing into what's going on now, Matt. I mean, did you, obviously you had a dream to become a physician. Mm-hmm. Did you ever consider re-upping with Teach for America? Because I know you can kind of, you know, you can put in more time. Or, I mean, walk me through that. How did you come to the decision to, like, go to medical school? So, okay. I I guess I'll kind of start at the beginning. Sure. You can can intervene whenever you – So my dream to become a doctor or a physician really started when I was about 18, a senior in high school. And I I had just sort of – come to it as an interest, being interested in science for a long period of time, being interested in serving others, being interested in being able to critically think, and being interested in, in what a career as a vis- physician really had to offer. And so I went to undergrad and I invested a lot of my time in preparing for an application to medical school. And I, I followed passions in terms of what, what I wanted to do for participation in undergrad, engaging myself in research and volunteer opportunities and, and leadership opportunities and really enjoying all of it. But there, there came sort of a, a point in time my senior year or my fourth year of my undergrad career where before applying to medical school and, – and I never really – I never lost that passion for a career in medicine – but I knew that before making that commitment, there, there was something else I wanted. And, and that was a, a, a feeling that I a feeling that I was doing something that was bigger than myself, mm-hmm. really. And I found out about this program with Teach for America, and I learned more about it. And I saw that a lot of what it was doing was aligning to my interests at that point in time. And... So I made the application, had the interview, was accepted, and decided to postpone my application to medical school by, let's see, that would have been by a year or two, and commit to this program in order to really serve the way that I wanted to serve Mm -hmm. and, and get that sense of accomplishment, get that sense of feeling that I'm doing something that's bigger than myself, really. And so I did. And so I went to Teach for America. Well, having spent a year doing it, I was loving what I was, do- what I was doing. I was loving the parents I was working with, the students I was working with, my administration, my community, just everything I was doing. But I still found that I never lost that passion for a, a medical career, a mm-hmm. career in medicine. And as a matter of fact, what, what I sort of reflected on was that a lot of that I was learning during my process in Teach for America, during my involvement with it, could, I believe, potentially be applied to a career in medicine. And so that really enabled me to continue to pursue my passion for medicine as well, mm-hmm. I guess, was, was the program itself. Mm-hmm. So you felt like you gave back, you did something that was greater than yourself. Right. And then I like how you said it was kind of uh, kind of – an experience that would open more doors or mm-hmm. make you a better person or a better physician or a physician mm-hmm. educator mm-hmm. down the road. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I feel that as I continue my uh, professional career in medical school and in residency and even as a practicing physician, that some of the skills I learn and some of the ideas I gain and some of the perceptions I even gained from my time in Teach for America will be able to help me make a better physician for my future patients, whether that's teaching them about a medication or whether that's 
maybe in a holding a, a teaching session to the community or to a group of students about a certain subject and whatever specialty that I might be practicing in, whether it's learning how to or practicing effective communication with my patients. It, it's just a lot of those really, Dr. Chan, if I have to summarize it, a lot of those people-to-people skills, people-to-people interactions, mm-hmm. I felt like I had a lot of good opportunities to practice those with my time in Teach for America. And hopefully I can, can I'm not perfect, obviously, mm-hmm. but hopefully I can continue to build on those to be the best physician as possible to my future patients. That, that's terrific, Matt. I love how you said that. And kind of segue into like, you know, where you're from. You're obviously from Idaho. Mm-hmm. And one of the goals I have in doing these podcasts is to bring education uh, to, to people from Utah, Idaho, all across Absolutely. the nation. And what's fascinating to me is because you went to University of Idaho, right. which is kind of ground zero for whammy. Right. The more <laughs> I go up to Idaho, the more people are like, oh, yeah, because yeah, whammy has a very large presence right. in Idaho. Absolutely. Um, and then I notice a lot of people don't realize that we also have dedicated seats for Idaho residents. Yep. Um, and for right now, it's still eight a class. Mm-hmm. Um, so just walk me through, like, how did you, you know, how did you end up choosing University of Utah? Like, uh, you know, what is attract, what attracted you to the program initially, how you kind of found out, found out more about it? Sure. Absolutely. So I submitted my application during the summer, my primary application during the summer after my first year of Teach for America. And I, I applied to so many schools. I don't remember the exact number, but being an Idaho resident, I applied to the University of Washington and the University of Utah. Received secondaries from both, filled those out, and sent them in. And really, as, as I was researching schools and learning about schools, not only because the University of Utah and the University of Washington are, are both affiliated with the state of Idaho, mm-hmm. But I just really chose those two schools as my dream schools that I would want to go to um, if I was given that opportunity. Well, I interviewed at both. And when I, when I got back, I, I had the conversation with, with my now wife about sort of if, if I had a dream to go to medical school, where would it be? Mm-hmm. And... University of Washington is an outstanding program. I have friends there. They absolutely love it. I have friends there too. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Exactly. But what, what happened to me is given both of my interview experiences is that University of Utah, when I interviewed here, it, it really felt like I was at home. Hmm. And, and maybe, maybe that's 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 pretty big to say, given that I was an applicant and I was still waiting to see, you mm-hmm. know, what what my acceptance acceptances would be, if any. But it's it after the interview, it, it sort of shifted me to, wow, if if I have a dream school, it, it's going to be the University of Utah, mm-hmm. and sort of what redirected me to that was my interview experience here, the mission that the University of Utah takes. In, in, in terms of its service to its patients, not only to the state of Utah, but to the state of Idaho. And really the, the learning more about the opportunities that, that just existed here. And, and I haven't, haven't been near close to being disappointed. I, I just, it, 
and I had this experience in my interviews, but the 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 way the faculty treat the students here is truly exceptional, mm-hmm. Dr. Chen. And and even when I interviewed, I interviewed with two faculty and a fourth year medical student. These these individuals were genuinely interested in who I was as an applicant. Mm-hmm. I, I did not feel at all as though I was trying to be pulled one way, and I had to be cautious about you know being pulled that way or formulating some sort of maybe interview standard response that wouldn't necessarily reflect who I was. Um, they were just generally interested in all of my experiences. And, and to me, that felt really good. Mm-hmm. And to me, that made me say, you know what, if the University of Utah takes an interest in me, that that's where I would want to go to school. That's great, Matt. Well, I'm glad you came here. And how has your first year gone? Um, you know, you're, you're rising second year. You're about mm-hmm. to start second year. Uh, in a few short weeks, I think, pretty soon, next mm-hmm. month. Yep, it's um, coming up. <laughs> so I, I guess the question is, you know, like, what is medical school like? How was your first year? And, like, you know, and, and with the added bonus of you're coming in with the background as a really, you know, as a great educator. I mean, sure. how has the curriculum gone? Sure. So I'll try and address all those. Sure. Sorry. Let, let me know. I'm asking very open-ended no, no, questions. Let me know if I'm getting <laughs> off topic. Yeah. So – when I got the call from Dr. Chan, it was one of the best moments of my life. You were in Arkansas, I believe, correct? I actually, I was in Idaho because we were on spring break at oh, that okay. time. So right. I was uh, on vacation. But you had an Arkansas that. phone number, I think. No, it was still Idaho. All right, but I'm just projecting No, you're, you're, you're fine. <laughs> I, I was heading back to Arkansas okay. in a few short days. Okay. I, I think right. I could probably say that. So I got the phone call and was just, I mean, absolutely exciting. Just it felt like a ton of weight was off my shoulders and I, I just couldn't believe that, that, you know, having talked to you about this previous, that the school that I was considering my dream school to be able to go to medical school to had, had accepted me. And so it was, it was just a wonderful feeling. And so getting you know ready for that, getting prepared for that, um, continued to sustain that feeling and, and so forth. And this is not where you think it's going, but, uh, <laughs> So anyway, we get to medical school, right? And and I think the first thing I realized is that, you know, medical school is challenging. And I had thought that too um, while going through undergrad. I mean, nobody goes through medical school, at least I don't think, saying, wow, that was an easy experience. But it, it definitely is challenging. And first year, I mean, hits you right off in terms of saying, Look, this, you know, this is a graduate level program. We have a lot of information we need to get to you, and all of this information is pertinent in in terms of well, how and why really you're going to be able to treat your patients in in the coming years. So, it started off pretty challenging, I would say. Over time, a couple weeks in, I felt like I was getting a really good routine though, and I was enjoying my classes. I was enjoying my professors. I was enjoying my outside volunteer experiences and every which way I was involved with, with the medical school. So I guess I would say that coming into it, it it was an adjustment, I I guess, just like really anything. It's an adjustment. I feel going to undergrad, it's an adjustment when I was going to teach for America, medical school is an adjustment as well. Those first couple of weeks, you know, we go through phase one and a lot of it is, getting this background information that not a lot of people might have. The professors describe it to us as sort of getting everyone on the same page because of all the differences in backgrounds 
and majors and studying experiences that each student comes in with. So that phase one is really just spent a lot of time doing that. And then phase two started in January with molecules, cells, and cancers, which I thought was just an absolutely fascinating unit. Uh, phase one was really interesting as well. And then we moved on to host and defense, so studying immunology, infectious disease, and so forth, which was a very challenging unit, and the unit directors aren't afraid to admit that, but they were absolutely wonderful in making resources available and so forth. But it's also a very interesting unit, I felt. Um, but it is one of those ones that that uh, sort of has a reputation around here as being challenging, yet it is very interesting. So I guess in summary, uh, my first year, it, it's challenging, mm-hmm. which I welcome that. I, I'm very, very welcome to that. But it's it's rewarding. I the the things we get to learn are just absolutely interesting and absolutely fascinating. We really get to dive deep into the science of the human body and of medicine during that first year. And I'm anticipating the the same thing for second year as well. Biggest surprise. Sorry. Biggest surprise yeah. of first year. Biggest surprise. Bad or good. Biggest surprise. You know, I okay, so what comes to mind immediately, I think biggest surprise was, so I talked about getting into finding this routine in medical school and, and doing well and, and, and having a lot of fun with it and enjoying spare time, when, you know, when I could find it. And we get to the first, the first week, the first two weeks of host and defense, and the, the number of lectures we have during those first two weeks versus the number of lectures that we had had all throughout the year probably increased oh probably by about probably about 15 lectures or so for mm-hmm. the first test so we would during phase one and during molecule cells and cancers we we probably had in the range of 22 to 25 lectures or so per exam that's not true because in phase one we are tested weekly so that's probably about 10 to 12 lectures and then molecule cells and cancer hits. Mm-hmm. The tests were challenging, absolutely. There were about double that, so 24 lectures. And then come host and defense those first two weeks, it increased to like 34. And so that was a pretty big surprise because I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have to revamp or change a bit how I'm studying <laughs> because I'm not going to be able to go yeah. through all of these lectures before an exam. So to use a car analogy, phase one was kind of like you're, you know, you're 25 miles per hour. Right. And then all of a sudden, phase two, and you're kind of, oh, you're, you're at 40 miles right. per hour. And then near the end of phase two, you're up at like at the 50, 60 miles per yeah, hour. Yeah, that, that, I would say that's a pretty good analogy. And and it's to be expected, and the professors mm-hmm. are, are very open with saying, you know, that's the way it's going to go. And, and it's well put together, I, I think. Mm-hmm. It's just getting into the actuality of it and experiencing it and just going forward mm-hmm. with it, I think, was sort of the surprise factor. Mm-hmm. Well, and my next question is, Matt, because, like, you know, you as an educator, and it's uh-huh. something that I know the med students have a lot of opinion about. Sure. Um, and I think something that sets our medical school apart from other med schools is our attendance policy, mm-hmm. right? And we have a very clearly defined attendance policy, meaning um, that we expect the med students to be in class. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually take attendance. And... You know, if someone's getting married or there's a baby being born or you're presenting a poster at a research conference, you get that time off. 
if you're sick, you get that time off. Mm-hmm. And we've actually built in grace days too. I think they're monthly now. Yep, that if you two. just yeah, if you just need a break, um, if you just need to go hit the slopes or just take a day off, we allow that as well. Right. But the vast majority, vast majority of your time, you expect uh, the med students are expected to be in class. Sure. And I'm just curious what your thoughts about it, and we we can talk about it a little bit because I know I get questions uh, about this. Uh, when I go out and, and talk about our our medical school, right? So I, I'm curious, what are your thoughts about it? So my thoughts on the attendance policy. Mm-hmm. If I have to pick a position in terms of, am I for it, am I against it, or am I neutral? I'm going to say that I'm probably neutral, and and here's why and. Yeah, here's why. Is that I I go to class. Mm -hmm. I enjoy going to class. I think the attendance policy does an exceptional job in terms of getting students together, getting students to know one another, being able to see all of our classmates day in and day out, especially during the didactic lecture portion of medical school. And I feel that having the honor to really serve my class as co-president this year wouldn't necessarily be as meaningful if I if if a majority of my of my fellow classmates weren't attending class mm-hmm. on any given day and that I wasn't able to develop my relationship with them that I was able to develop because the attendance policy is in place and students are coming to class and so forth mm-hmm. So I think those are really some of the pros of the attendance policy along with some other things. Now, as, as acting co-president for the uh, class of 2017 right now, I can understand some of the frustrations of it as well. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of where the educator part of me comes out in that there are different learning styles. And I think the University of Utah does recognize that. And Perhaps there are some individuals that find that coming to lecture does not best suit their learning style. Maybe they're able to go home and listen to these lectures on podcast and they're able to absorb the information more or whatever it is that enables them to fit their learning style and, and learn more efficiently. And so I understand that frustration and that piece of the attendance policy as well. Where I come in is is that not so much for myself, but for my classmates in the position that I am is is I try to advocate a position that would would make both parties happy. Sounds like you're trying to be like Switzerland, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's difficult, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, from a dean's office perspective, right. from a medical education perspective. Um, we ask our faculty to dedicate a lot of their time to absolutely. teaching. Absolutely, absolutely. And unfortunately, the way it works is like a lot of the, that time is not really compensated. It's not like mm-hmm. like you know when when physicians decide to come teach the med students, like they make extra money. It's more of a 
more of like volunteer work on the physician's part. They're sure. like giving back, you know, going back to the mission. Right. The medical school, it's like the reason why a lot of them choose to work here, it's because of either the teaching or the research right. opportunities or both. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do know the attendance policy has been met very favorably among the faculty because if you imagine, you know, you put a lot of hard work into doing a presentation, uh, coming up with a really good PowerPoint slide. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then you kind of want to show up and you want to have students there right. <laughs> ready, eager to learn. Right. So I, you know, I do recognize that there are students who do learn – who learn different. Their learning styles are different. But I also know the faculty really like this policy. That's and great. that when you kind of think – when you jump ahead a few more steps during third year – you don't really get to mail it in, as it were. You know, you don't. Right. You know, you got. You, there is kind of a right. even stronger requirement. You need to come up, and you know, when you have a clinical rotation in surgery or internal right. medicine, you really need to come. So right. I do. I do appreciate the nuances. Um, sure, so, absolutely, yeah. and I think that's a great point, Doctor Chan. Is that you know, I, I don't by all means mean to sit here and compare myself to a faculty member at the University of Utah, but oh. I could certainly understand coming with a background as a high school science teacher that it could be very frustrating if you prepare all of this time into a lecture and the majority of the students or, or a certain percentage of students, I should say, is, is not showing up for that lecture. I, I could absolutely understand that um, side of it as well and that that could be very frustrating. <laughs> I guess this is why I continue to take the neutral piece on the attendance policy is that I just try to I really try to advocate both positions and advocate this on behalf of my fellow peers to the administration and leave the decision making up, <laughs> up to those individuals in those positions. For me, for me personally, I'll, I'll speak for myself. The mm-hmm. attendance policy works fine. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy coming to class. I feel that my two grace days are enough to say, hey, I just don't feel like coming to class right now. I'm going to send an email to Maria, stay home, do some studying, stay in my shorts and T-shirts, and 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 just hang out at the, the apartment for the day. So for me personally, um, I, I found it to work fine. But I do want to recognize that for some individuals it doesn't for those reasons that I had mentioned. Mm-hmm. And on on the other side on, on of the coin i guess that that there there is there there are faculty members putting a lot of investment and a lot of interest in us as a class and that that they want students there when when they're coming to teach as well as the the camaraderie i think that that having students in class does create mm-hmm. and i do think your class has Great camaraderie. All right, so last question, Matt, sure. before I have to let you go. Sure. Um, and speaking of classmates, what's been the best memory this past year, you know, of you and your classmates? Not necessarily academic, though you can talk about that, but I knew I do know you guys get together a fair amount outside of class. We do. So what's what's the best memory you've had so far? Gosh, there's so many. Let me let me think on what which one I want to talk about here. You know, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I, I think instead of identifying a specific situation I, i'm going to sort of lump it all together because for me i think that's a little bit more powerful okay than talking about any given situation and and it's really genuine for me as well and i think the best memories i have are just interacting with my classmates every day really and that that comes down to whether we're sitting in our our clinic with our preceptor and we're just having a long day and all of a sudden we all just start laughing at some of the silliest stuff on physical exams and 
being a little bit immature because it's a little bit of a stress relief or whether I'm sitting eating lunch and I have a classmate come up to me or I go up to a classmate and we just start having a conversation about American politics or where he went hiking on his last adventure because those are some of the moments that that I think really for me helped me balance the lifestyle of a medical student as well as the relationships that I value. It's just those those smaller, what I feel are sincere, genuine interactions where I get to learn a lot about my classmates and I hope that they get to learn a lot about myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very beautiful, Matt, because you know your medical knowledge will always be there and if you forget something, you can always look it up in a book. But mm-hmm. to me, the essence of a medical education is getting to know your peers and relying on them because they will be with you for the rest of your life. Sure, and absolutely. When I, you know, I graduated from this medical school about ten years ago, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'm still in touch with many of my classmates, and everyone's gone on to do amazing, fantastic things. But it starts back during your first year, you know. And I just, I, I have the same thought when you kind of mentioned those are genuine moments. I really like that because I, I felt the same way too. So. I think so. We're we're all having this similar experience, so why not make why not make the best of it? And medical school makes it easy to do that. We're all living our dream. We're here in medical school. We're at a great institution. But why not take advantage of that and, and really come together as a class, right? Yeah. I agree with you completely. Well, great, Matt. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, best of luck to you for second year. Great. Thanks, Dr. Chan. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.